When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, listeners. It's our final show of the year. And although 2020 has clearly been incredibly difficult for a great many people, we wanted to try and raise some cheer in the face of all that's been going on. Nick, you know what that means? What's that? Cue the music. We've an absolutely packed podcast this week. Coming up, we'll have Charmony's sensational audio charades competition. And we'll also have the latest in our long line of science-based festive songs. But it's not all fun and games, right, Nick? Yeah, I've been finding out about some of the people who've made an impact in the world of science this year. I'm Nick Howe. And I'm Benjamin Thompson. Throughout 2020, somewhat unsurprisingly, we've spent a lot of time talking about public health. As governments around the world have strived to get to grips with the pandemic, they've been forced to perform a series of delicate balancing acts, weighing up a myriad of different social factors and vital public health protection measures. Debates are raging over who's getting it right and wrong, and it feels like everybody has an opinion on the best way to do things. In fact, I've sometimes caught myself wondering, what would I do if I were in charge? Armed with evidence and the latest science, could I have done better? Well now, at least virtually, there's a way to find out, as these balancing acts are at the heart of a new video game. Nature's Brendan Maher has been playing it, but he's been having a bit of a problem. I have a confession to make. I'm having a hard time with a fungal infection. These are the sounds of me playing Plague Inc. The Cure a strategy-based video game on my phone. In the game, I play the part of an omnipotent global health agency trying to tackle outbreaks of increasingly nasty pathogens. The bacterium was easy. The virus wasn't too hard. But that fungus... Tapping on my screen, I mobilize field operatives, shut down borders, and research a vaccine. I even impose media blackouts to stop the spread of misinformation, but it's no use. After a few minutes, hundreds of millions of people are infected. I see news flashes across the top of the screen. People in Poland are rioting over my mismanagement. Greenland turns from red to black as deaths soar. And once the little blue bar representing my global authority drops to zero, it's game over. I'm fired. Again.
Maybe it's me. Although I've written about public health and infectious disease for decades, I'm certainly no expert. So, what about people who are? How have they fared playing the game? You know, seeing all those countries light up in red and then in black, I was just like, oh my god, I'm failing, I'm failing to save the world! <laughs> I was playing it the other day and I managed to get to 99% and then it said I'd failed, <laughs> which I was very annoyed about. <laughs> Plague Inc. is a popular game that's been around for nearly a decade. Inspired by a handful of other pandemic-related games, its goal was to be the bug. You play the part of a pathogen trying to wipe out humanity. You win when the last human on Earth falls. It was a fun concept until 2020 rolled around, and the world had to face down a very real deadly pandemic. At this point, life started to imitate art a little too closely, says the game's designer James Vaughn, the founder of Endemic Creations. Back in January, February time, when COVID was just getting started, we saw a huge surge of interest in plaguing because when people are curious about disease, they want to understand more about it. We always see an increase in people playing. And it was quite an uncomfortable feeling for us because our game is a fictitious game. But suddenly I was seeing what I'd put in my game all those years ago, suddenly playing out in the real world. And that was quite a a disconcerting feeling for us. So James decided to make an update to his game. Be the good guys instead of the deadly pathogen. It turns out that's a lot harder than it seems. But Playgang's popularity opened some opportunities for the company. Its educational value had captured the attention of people working in public health in the past. And James was able to reach out for advice from organizations like the WHO and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, or CEPI. Endemic Creations also donated $250,000 split between the WHO and CEPI to help fight the pandemic. Because I'm just making a game about it going off my limited research, whereas there are people who spend their whole lives building up a deep expertise in the topic of infectious disease. And so I knew I needed to have a number of respectable experts who could help make sure that we were tackling the subject matter in, in the correct way. For months, working remotely, James and his team built realistic public health and economic aspects into the game, like lockdowns, furlough schemes, and vaccine development. And when it comes to vaccines, not only do you have to develop one, you have to start building up the manufacturing capacity for it, or else you'll never have enough doses to go around. Mike Whelan is one of the experts who advised James on the game. Mike's a project leader with CEPI, which has been funding and guiding the development of several COVID-19 vaccines. They thought about all the different scenarios and then just worked through them with us to say whether they were realistic or not. Now, obviously, we've had to cut corners. There's a lot of the stuff we do is not terribly interesting. <laughs> but pretty much most of it's there and most of it's pretty much spot on. So we were, we were impressed with it. And if people get a general overview of how we do things and how we spend you know, public funds, well, it's got to be a good thing. It's also a good game and a pretty difficult one. There are so many decisions. Do I spend my limited resources on test and trace programs? Securing supply chains for personal protective equipment? How aggressive should I be with travel bans? These sorts of decisions mirror, to an extent, what goes on in the real world. This impressed Malia Jones, an epidemiologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She shifted much of her work during the global pandemic to communicating difficult epidemiological concepts to the public. If the mission was to show how hard it is to be in charge, 
in a pandemic, mission accomplished, right? It's really hard. It's tough. In fact, I'd say I lost much more frequently than I won the game. You know, they have a list of the available measures to control an outbreak that I think is pretty thorough. Things like social distancing and border controls, clinical interventions. But I think that they're obviously implemented in a way that's not very realistic, right? We don't actually get to flip a switch and just turn on contact tracing worldwide, unfortunately. And of course, it can't be entirely realistic. If you successfully manage to research and manufacture a vaccine, for example, a few dozen little blue jets will fly it out to every country on the map in an instant. And then everyone takes it. The entire world comes together and you get the prize for saving the day. Sadly, this is unlikely to happen in the real world. But regardless of those hopeful simplifications, James thinks his game is proving instructive to players. We have huge numbers of people saying to us, hey, this is really helping me understand what's going on. This, this is just making this big unknown thing seem a little bit less scary. We didn't set out to make the game educational initially, but our games do educate people by accident. As they play the game, they learn stuff and maybe it might make somebody think, you know what, I might wash my hands a bit more. I might, I might wear a face mask after all because I saw how it worked in Plaguing. These kinds of changes in perception to public health messaging couldn't be more important right now as COVID-19 surges around the world. And for any armchair epidemiologists out there, Plague Inc. The Cure gives at least a glimpse of what it's like to try and guide pandemic preparedness and response. And in the meantime, while I struggle with my fungus, I take some solace in knowing that I'm not alone at feeling so stumped. I think that the big takeaway is really about how hard it is to make these decisions in a way that is informed, and also how hard it is to keep your grip on something as slippery and random and hard to control as a pandemic, right? I tried many times to get containment in the first country that had the outbreak of disease where the disease was first detected. I tried several times to just throw everything I had at containment and keep it from spreading around the world and was never successful. And I think that's actually pretty accurate in terms of how hard it is to control a novel infectious disease worldwide. On the plus side, with the game, you can always start over. That was Brendan Marr. You also heard from James Vaughan, Mike Whelan, and Malia Jones. We'll put a link to where you can find out more about Plaguing the Cure in this week's show notes. Time for our first festive song. And to prepare you, think back to July and a busy time for planetary science. Here's We Three Spacecraft Travel to Mars, performed by Emily Renshaw, Lucy Gove, Richard Navarro, and Phil Self. If you want to sing along, head over to the show notes where you'll find the lyrics. We three spacecraft travel to Mars Bearing probes we traverse afar Rockets firing, launching, flying One by one we depart All one from China, one the States One the Arab Emirates Careful timing, worlds aligning, launching on the perfect date.
in the show we'll have our annual festive game where members of the podcast team including myself will be demonstrating our audio creativity trust me you did not want to miss that but first it's time for the research highlights read by dan fox if you're feeling a little chilly this winter perhaps you might want to consider a quick roll in some horse manure to warm up At least, that's what seems to work for giant pandas, who scientists have spotted rolling in horse dung on cold days. A team of researchers studied 38 instances of giant pandas rolling in horse manure in the Kinling Mountains in China. They noticed that the bears usually chose manure less than 10 days old, prompting them to wonder if the animals were seeking certain volatile compounds only present in fresh dung. Experiments with a few such chemicals revealed that they allowed mice to better withstand cold temperatures by blocking cold receptors in their skin. Since the majority of the observed panda rolling events happened in temperatures below 15 degrees Celsius, the researchers concluded that the pandas used these chemicals in the manure to make themselves feel warmer during winter. Read that research in full at Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. If you've been inside for most of 2020, it might be the year you've finally perfected your artisanal sourdough loaf. Now, a survey of yeasts from around the world shows that over the course of centuries, industrial and artisanal bread making have led to the evolution of two distinct lineages of baker's yeast. Bakers can ferment their dough with industrial cultures of yeast, or with a sourdough starter which contains yeast as well as other microbes. Researchers analysed 31 mass-produced strains of yeast and 198 strains found in sourdough starters in order to characterise the different leavening agents. While these yeasts are all a single species, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, the strains are quite different. The researchers found that industrial strains of baker's yeast are more genetically similar to beer-making yeasts, 
whereas sourdough strains resemble yeasts found in natural environments, like water or fruit. They think that preserving a range of bread-making practices will help maintain this genetic diversity. See if that research is the best thing since sliced bread at Current Biology. It's become quite the tradition around these parts that we play a party game in our last episode of the year. Now, I had a little listen back, and it turns out I'm actually the reigning champion. But like the magnanimous winner I am, I'm taking a back seat this year to let someone else have a taste of victory. So, without further ado, let me hand you over to our quizmaster, Sharmini Bundell. Welcome to a very special event, one you've been waiting all year for, and what a long year it's been. But never fear, the time is finally here. It's the Nature Podcast Audio Charades Competition Lockdown Edition. Hooray! If you don't remember this exciting and much anticipated event, it is because I made it up last week. Because like many of you here at the Nature Podcast, we've all been working at home for the past nine months. So this game is specifically invented to work over a good old fashioned conference call because we know you love those. And it uses items from around the competitors' homes and our competitors today are Lizzie Gibney. Hello, Charmony. Stan Fox. Hello, Charmony. And Nick Howe. Hello, Charmony. So I've told you the rules for this game already and you've actually gone away and done your prep, but for the benefit of the audience, um, the aim of this game is to represent a 2020 science news story using only sound effects, hence audio charades. Um, but the twist is that these sound effects can only be made by things that are lying around your house. Um, so I, I've given you some assignments and how did you all get on finding um, household <laughs> items to make sounds with? Bit of a nightmare. There are so many things where I thought if I could just make the sound myself, like with my mouth or get a recording off online or something, it'd be really easy. But um, it's actually really hard. Yeah, I've just moved as well. So finding things that I could actually use was also quite difficult. So my sounds consist of whatever I could grab nearest to me. And we'll see how this goes. It turns out that an uh, unexpected benefit of having a new baby is a wide collection of noise-making material just in the house. So <laughs> some toys may feature. I feel that maybe this challenge is, is harder than it might first appear, but um, that'll be for us to judge when we hear what you've come up with. <laughs> Let's kick off. Um, and to, to start with, uh, I think we should start with the wonderful Nick Howe oh God. presenting the first... 2020 science news story represented by Niche Podcast Audio Shrads Competition Lockdown Edition. <laughs> so this is a combination of sounds. Let me just try and put it all together <laughs> live. So uh, it sounds like it's some kind of spring. I cannot confirm was... or deny this. <laughs> <laughs> and the second bit was a kind of snappy clappy thing yeah is this a physics story yes spring gave it away god that always means it's something i should know it is one you covered lizzie oh no you clap story the the big story of the summer i've done so many springy clap stories i'm just trying to pick between them what what do springs do when they make these sounds they wobble they vibrate they vibrate and then they stop vibrating so much 
Yes. Is it something ah, being damp? In which case, I think I know. Is it the um, the the super cold molecules? It is. Yes. Do yes. you know why it is? <laughs> yes, because so so the whole point is that um, they have thermal vibrations, and that's what you're trying to get rid of. So you cool them down, and then they. Um, vibrate less and less and then you are able to put them in this extremely cool quantum states or we will be able to very soon um and they can do all kinds of funky things because they're molecules rather than atoms on their own so they can interact in other ways and yeah make lots of very cool quantum states yeah so this clappy thing was it's they're called by collisional cooling so that was my interpretation of things colliding with them (laughs) (laughs) i see so they were going like wobble 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 and then they collided and then wobble no more yes that was that was the aim (laughs) it's a ruler and a die so the ruler i just twanged like you did in school and i just lengthened it out and lengthened it out to make the vibrations less and less and then uh, a dice I just hit on the table. <laughs> I love the creativity there. That was excellent. Particle vibrations <laughs> represented by a ruler. Very Perfect. Good. Next up, so so Lizzie Gibney, slight advantage yeah. there, being one of your stories that, that you got that one. But um, would you like to present us all now with sure. your scientific okay. sounds? So... So it sounded like water being splooshed about and a hoover? Not a hoover. Not a hoover. It's a hairdryer, right? Correct. So is water getting warmer? Is it, is it an egg? <gasps> Might be. Oh, that all doesn't right. help me at all. <laughs> Warm water and an egg. Oh, is, <laughs> is, it, uh, is it life starting in a pond from last it week? Is! Oh, yeah. wow! Hey! <laughs> I did not get that at all. <laughs> Brilliant. That was mine. So, so, so it's life started not deep in the oceans, but in these warm puddles that would go dry and then wet and then dry and then wet. Oh, they were drying out with the hair dryer. Yeah. Yeah. Hair dryer. That's clever. It's really clever. I use yesterday's eggshells rather than just ruining a whole pack of eggs. <laughs> right, Dan Fox, I think that means it is your turn. Right, I just need to kind of position my sound effects because I've, there is a few for this and it's they kind of have to happen at the same time. Right. this one of your children's toys that is a child's that, story that initial sort of yeah squeaky rattling a squeaky rattling i would ignore the rattling and focus on the sort of squeak the squeaky like baby animal and then it's getting hammered well no, it sounds very cruel to whatever baby animal <laughs> i'm talking about it is is this the um uncrushable beetle uh no it is not the uncrushable beetle uh. although i think the beetle would have been a better fit for the noises that i've made now <laughs> maybe i should just say it was the uncrushable beetle but it's an animal the first thing is an animal Okay. The second thing is something around it. Something around it. Is it noise? Noise around it? It is noise around it. It's. Oh, is it the birds and noise? Like it's the anthropogenic noise and birds. Noise and light pollution annoy birds. Oh, great. Well done. Done, Nick. Wait, this was your story, Nick. What? So, can you summarise the story for us? Yeah. So, this was like a huge survey of thousands of uh, bird nests, songbird nests across the US, the continental US, and um, they're basically looking at what the impacts of noise and light are on birds, 
And it had lots of different effects, but they were able to show that there were like direct effects on bird reproduction of noise and light. Like, um, for example, if the bird had a call that was uh, masked or covered by the sound of humans, then they wouldn't do so well uh, reproductively because they're not able to attract a mate and stuff like that. That was an example of one yeah, of the and effects. Cl- clearly, you got that from the from the hammering and drilling and the the. <laughs> The bird toy noise. I'm very impressed Lizzie got that because this was my story and I didn't know idea. Well, that was an excellent showing from everyone. Some extremely uh, tricky scientific sound effect challenges there. Uh, it, it was, I think it was relatively evenly spread, um, but I'm going to arbitrarily declare the winner of the Nature Podcast Audio Shreds Competition Lockdown Edition to be Lizzie Gibney. That's fair. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. I would like to thank my mum. <laughs> no, it genuinely, it's, it is her hoover, actually, so I can celebrate with a giant bowl of eggs now, so that would be yes. delicious. <laughs> A very large omelette <laughs> is how I will celebrate. <laughs> uh, you've all done amazing work. Um, and everyone, you can join us next year for more cutthroat competition and high stakes tomfoolery um, in some completely different game that we will just make up next year. But now it's back to your regularly scheduled programming. Finally on the show, the year is starting to wrap up. And so it's time for looking back and reflection on the Nature Podcast. To do that, we're looking at Nature's 10, Nature's list of 10 people who mattered in the past year in science. Joining me for some reflection is Nature's Chief Features Editor, Richard Monstersky. Now, Richard, your team are the people behind Nature's 10. So maybe to start us off, you could tell us a little bit about how you decide who goes on the list each year. So... We try and take a look at what happened in in the course of the year and then pick individual people to showcase some important events. And so this is the perfect way to reflect on the past year. And we won't have time to talk about everyone that's on the list. But in the first instance, I wanted to talk about someone who's been quite central to the whole pandemic. And that's the Director General of the World Health Organization, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. I mean, Richard, it may actually go without saying why he made it onto the list, but can you just talk me through what the thought process was for him? So Tedros, as he's known, has been at the center of news about the pandemic since the beginning of the year. He has been informing world leaders and the public about the dangers of the pandemic and rallying nations to respond to it. And it's not always gone particularly smoothly for him. As I understand it, there was a lot of criticism of his role as well. Right. There's been some concern that the WHO has been slow to react in some ways to information that was coming out about the pandemic, and that the WHO and Tedros may have been a little bit too gentle with China in terms of how China was releasing information that could have come out several days or weeks earlier about what was actually happening at the early stages of the pandemic. But overall, like, what are researchers' views on Tedros? Many researchers and public health officials are complimentary about how Tedros has been handling this. He's had a lot of experience with outbreaks and won a lot of praise for how he handled the Ebola outbreak. And then he came out with some very strong statements early about how the 
outbreak was growing in China and the risks to the rest of the world, and that advocated for some strong actions. And, and many nations responded quickly, and we saw them actually do a good job of controlling the outbreaks there. And so it's not obviously an easy position that he was put in. This is quite the unprecedented situation. And quite early on in this as well, the US made, well, the Trump administration made moves to actually withdraw funding from the WHO. And how did Tedros respond to this? When the Trump administration came out with criticisms of Tedros in April and the WHO, Tedros himself responded very diplomatically. And at that point, I think he was hoping that he could work with the United States to bring them back on board and to have them be a partner with the WHO and the rest of the world, which ultimately did not succeed. Uh, And the next person I wanted to discuss is again associated with the pandemic, maybe a little bit of the theme of 2020. But this person was involved in the hunt for a vaccine, and this is Catherine Janssen. Uh, Richard, what can you tell me about her? Catherine Janssen is head of vaccine research and development at Pfizer, one of the drug firms that's been working to develop a COVID vaccine. And Pfizer, along with BioNTech, a German company, raced ahead of many others to develop a vaccine based on messenger RNA. Well, I mean, there have been many people involved in the search for a vaccine. Why in particular did he think to highlight Katherine Janssen? We decided to highlight Janssen because Pfizer has been one of the leaders from the start and did come out first with results of phase three trials that showed the vaccine to be very promising and was the first to achieve approval in the UK based on those results. I guess this was quite a feat as well. RNA vaccines are still quite new and getting the approval process as well through quite quickly, that's not a small thing. Right, that's a first for vaccines based on messenger RNA. And if it works, it's a very promising development because these kinds of vaccines could be developed more quickly than traditional vaccines for other types of diseases. Mm. And Janssen has form in this area as well. Like Throughout her career, she's been involved in the creation or the implementation of many different vaccines. Right. So in previous efforts, she's worked on human papillomavirus and on pneumonia and has had a number of successes with different vaccines, and this could be the biggest one yet. Yes, certainly, and we'll have to wait and see like how successful this vaccine is. But for the last person I wanted to talk about, I wanted to move away from coronavirus and instead focus on a different disease that maybe didn't get quite as many headlines, and that's dengue fever. And Rich, this year, Nature has highlighted Adi Uterini for her work in this field. Right, so Uterini ran a very successful trial in Indonesia that showed a method for combating dengue. And the way they did that is they infected mosquitoes with a bacterium called Wolbachia. And that bacterium prevents mosquitoes from transmitting different viruses, including dengue. So once they had those engineered mosquitoes, they placed eggs in different parts of the city, and that cut down transmission of dengue by a very significant amount. Yeah, so I actually remember this one. I discussed it on the podcast once, and this was a very successful trial. It reduced dengue fever by almost 77% in parts of this Indonesian city, Yogyakarta. So it was quite the success. It was. There had been some smaller trials in Australia and Vietnam, but this trial in Indonesia was the largest And it was a randomized controlled trial. 
So it was very successful and people are incredibly enthusiastic about this technique and hopes for eliminating dengue from some major cities. I mean, this is a terrible disease, so anything that could help fight against it would be amazing. But I'm, I'm surprised as well that she was able to get, you know, the buy-in from communities. She's saying like, oh, we want to fight dengue by releasing more mosquitoes. That must have been quite the process. So one of the things that made this trial very successful was Uderini's team managed to work with the communities that would host these mosquitoes. And by using media announcements and even paintings and face-to-face meetings, and they had a film competition, they were able to inform the community about how this worked and allay fears. And so people in the city were very keen to take part in this trial. And that was one of the reasons why it was so successful. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's almost as important as the the science itself, getting people to actually be involved with it. But I think that's all we've got time for. Richard, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Nick. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, if you want to find out more about everyone on this year's list, then make sure you check out the feature, which will be in the show notes. So there we have it for another year. Later this week, there'll be the final Coronapod of 2020, where we'll have a retrospective of some of the year's most significant pandemic-related research papers. And we'll be back next week with our Clips of the Year show. But before we go, a huge thank you to each and every one of you who stuck with us this year, or who found us for the first time. It wasn't easy recording from places like the South London basement, but we got there. This year, of all years, I also want to extend my thanks our thanks out to all the people who help keep the world spinning. To end the show, we're going to leave you with one final song. It celebrates one of the biggest scientific achievements of a year, which has been tough at best, and one which we hope might make 2021 a little bit brighter. We're back in a few weeks, but from me and Nick and everyone on the podcast, stay safe, see you next year. To play us out, here's All I Want for Christmas is Vaccines, performed by Kim Coleman. Don't want a lot for Christmas There is just one thing I need I don't care about the presents Underneath the Christmas tree I just want you for my own More than you will ever know Grant me all my
new phases, one, two, three. But results are so exciting, if only preliminary. I just want you here tonight, the most that need prioritize. Grab me all my dreams, baby, all I want for Christmas is vaccine. Crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.